You're listening to Reality San Francisco's weekly podcast. For more audio content or information, please visit us at realitysf.com. Turn to the book of Matthew in the New Testament, chapter 5. It's the first book in the New Testament. And then find uh, this book in the Old Testament, Jeremiah. It's fairly large um, towards the back of the Old Testament, Jeremiah 29. And keep a a finger in or a ribbon or whatever in chapter 5 of Matthew and then chapter 29 of Jeremiah. How you guys doing? Good morning. Hi. Sorry, that was business. Now it's on to fun stuff. Um, we are in a three-week, it's the conclusion of a three-week series on the vision of our church. Uh, two weeks ago, we started like this. We are a community following Jesus. And so, basically, we talked about how we are ourselves, individually in a community of people that have committed our lives to following the way of Jesus. Jesus talks about his, his life and being a Christian as a way. It's a way of being. Um, we started by talking about how Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount, there was a, a gate and a road. He said, narrow is the gate um, and few enter it to the way of, 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 of eternal life. And so he talks about the entering into the Christian life as a, as a narrow gate. And then the gate, you, you come in to become a follower of Jesus, a, a Christian. And when you get into the gate, it doesn't end there. He says, now you follow me along the way on, on a narrow road. And so there's a gate, a narrow gate, and a narrow road. Another way he puts it in, Matthew, in Mark chapter 8, he says, you have to deny yourself and take up your cross. To deny yourself, to die to yourself. That's the narrow gate. And he says, then once you do that, you follow me. Deny yourself and then follow me. It's just this continuation. And so two weeks ago, we talked about how we are a community that's following the way of Jesus together. That was last week, or two weeks ago. Last week, we talked about a little play on words, following Jesus in community. So we talked about being devoted to one another. How being, salvation is not just about you and God. Remember, this is the community part. Salvation, and we had this on the screen last week, salvation is not just about you and God. A little review. If it was, we talked about uh, Genesis chapter 2, when Adam was alone with God and it was perfect and God said it was not good. So salvation is not just about you and God. We said, though, salvation creates community. When God saves, he saves into a family. We looked at that from Acts chapter 2. He saves into a community of people. When the author, the writer of um, the book of Acts, Dr. Luke, when he was writing, the thing that got him most excited about uh, these 5,000 souls that were saved, it wasn't that that 5,000 individual souls were saved, it was that 5,000 souls were added to the family of God. And they're brought into community. And so salvation is this uh, community-creating event. And then we talked about Christian community is marked by devotion to one another. And this word devotion really stuck out last week. And and I think in in my life, I know a lot of people that I've talked to about last week, that we're devoted. And in Acts 2.42, it says that the believers were, were, were together always, and they devoted themselves to teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. And that word devoted, it 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 modifies. This word devoted modifies everything after that. So they, the, the church didn't just take communion. Um, they devoted themselves to it. They didn't just have fellowship. Like on a Wednesday night, oh, we had fellowship. They devoted themselves to fellowship. They didn't just sit under teaching. They devoted themselves to the scriptures. Devotion marks the family of God. This week, 
we're talking about a Jesus community in a city. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. We talked about following Jesus and what it looks like. We're talking about following Jesus in the family and community and the importance of that. Today I want to talk about now as we are a community, a Jesus community, what does it look like to be a Jesus community in a, in a city, in our city, in San Francisco? That's what I want to talk about today. And so would you pray with me before we get started in Matthew chapter 5. Lord, I desperately want to communicate the things that you have on your heart for us today. I pray that you would grant us faith to hear. Wisdom, Lord, to live out the things that we hear. I don't think that the church lacks information. We, all of us have uh, Bibles that are uh, accessible just through our phones. And all of us have sermons we could download from the best preachers um, in history that we can listen to it on our phones. It's not a lack of information, Lord. We have information. We need formation. We need to be made conformed to the image of your son, and we pray that that would happen today by the power of your spirit. So, God, I ask that you would use me and anoint me today as I communicate these things, as we sit under your word together as a community. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, today I want to start with an attitude, or a, or a beatitude. That was a bad joke, but whatever. Um, a beatitude a way of being. And in um, and, and the Beatitudes, and then as Jesus moves on from the Beatitudes, he gets to, in the Sermon on the Mount, he gets to Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. And Jesus says this, and this is a very, very um, common verse. This, I, I would imagine most of the people in here, whether you are from church or not, or ever been to church or not, you know this verse. It says, Matthew five thirteen, you are the salt of the earth. You are, for the follower of Jesus, for the Christian, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? That's a conundrum. I have no idea. It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. What Jesus is saying here, and what Jesus gives a vision of for the church, he gives a vision of his followers as an influence for the world. And this is what Jesus is talking about here. As he's talking about living under the Sermon on the Mount, under the way of being a follower of Jesus, he says, as you guys live as followers of, of me, as, as a people of God in the world, you guys are influencers. You guys influence the world. We are to influence the world. And what this starts with here is it starts with an indicative. Now, this is review for some. An indicative is something that's true about you. This is who you are, and this is what he's saying. He's saying, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the world. That is true about who you are. So if you are this morning a follower of Jesus in San Francisco in here, you are salt. And you can't change that. There's two options. You either are salt and you live into who you are, or, you, or you're not. You're like, I'm not, not going to be salt. Later on, he says, right now, he says, you are the light of the world. You can be light or you can hide a light, but you are light. You are salt. This is who you are in all the earth, and this is what Jesus is talking about. So I want to think about this for a second. If Jesus comes to the followers of Jesus, followers of him, that live in a city, that live in a world, and he calls us salt, what does that mean? What does it mean to be salt? What does it mean to be the salt of the earth? What does it mean to be the salt in San Francisco? What is salt? To understand the illustration, we have to understand what salt is and what salt was used for. There are many uses for salt in the ancient world. That's what's so great about this metaphor, the enduring quality of this metaphor. Every home in that time, no matter how poor you were, 
had and used salt. It was for everyone. Every home still uses salt today. We have truffle salt, though, and we have pink salt and Himalayan crystal salt and low-sodium salt and no salt salt and stuff like that. Low-sodium salt doesn't make any sense to me, but whatever. Um, I actually, when the doctor told me one time, um, you have to lay off salt. I'm like, what if I had low-sodium salt? She says, that's, that's not a thing. <laughs> like, but like low-sodium soy sauce. She said, soy sauce is just salt, and it's just, I don't know what that is. I'm sorry. That's not, they might brand it that way, but it's not a thing. Um, anyway. So we have all these salt uses. All of us today, you, all of us have salt. Salt then was used as a preservative. The primary use for salt in, until recent years was a preservative. As society, there was no refrigeration system in Jesus' day. So salt could be rubbed into meat or fish to slow down and virtually stop decay. So they would take the salt and they would rub it into meat and they would rub it into fish and it would stop the decay. Salt was a preservative. Salt was also normally used as a seasoning to add to foods. This is our common use of salt today. It's in every restaurant, even snobby vegan restaurants have salt. It's in almost every recipe. And unless you're some completely out of touch bachelor, everyone has salt in their apartment. If your bachelor doesn't have salt in your house, you have problems. You should go buy some salt or get it free from a restaurant, like they just give away salt. <laughs> Everyone uses salt for seasoning today. So that was used then, it's used that way now. So salt was a preservative, salt was a seasoning, and salt was also a fertilizer. Salt was also used in small quantities as a fertilizer when applied to certain types of soil, when applied to certain types of earth. So with these uses in mind, we start to see how the metaphor of you are the salt of the earth, how that metaphor comes to life. And this is how it comes to life. The influence of Jesus' disciples would have an effect on the moral decay of every society on earth. So you are the salt of the earth. You are to be rubbed into every society on the earth to slow down and maybe even effectively stop moral decay. But not in the way that you think because we a lot of us grew up in America, Christendom, thinking it's picketing and politicking. It's actually giving our lives away, but that's the end of the sermon. Let's, let's wait, at least. Let's wait till then. The other reason, the other way, the influence of Jesus' disciples would have this beautifying element to it. As salt in the earth, you and I would beautify a city, enhancing the world with season of shalom. We would be rubbed into a society and bring about the peace of God, the shalom of God in a city. And some even suggest Jesus' disciples will enhance the growth of God's work in the world as a type of fertilizer. We enhance the work of God, the kingdom of God being advanced in a society being rubbed into a city. Now here's the point of all of this. Salt had a lot of uses in the ancient world. Now Jesus may not be pointing to one specific application but is using it in a broad, inclusive sense to refer to salt's vital necessity for everyday life. Maybe he's using all of those as, as an analogy. Maybe he's just using one. Maybe he had, But this is what he was saying. You, as my followers, are a vital part of everyday life. You are needed in a society. Christians are needed in a city. Listen to that. Salt was a necessity for everyday life. Everyone needed it. Salt was needed, and he says this, you are the salt of this earth. You are the salt of this earth. 
Follower, followers of Jesus are agents of good and beautiful on the whole earth. Followers of Jesus. Now, if you're here and you're visiting and you're going, you're not a follower of Jesus, you're like, no, Christians just mess everything up. And I understand how that can be the case. I understand how you might have that sort of position. But our Lord, our, the God that we serve and follow, Jesus, says that his followers are actually to be a beautiful agents of good in San Francisco. You, the you there, the you, you are the salt of the earth, is better actually translated you all or y'all. If Jesus was like from the south, he would have said y'all. <laughs> y'all are the salt of the earth. You folks, this is, com- the communal is emphasized here. Jesus was saying this new community that I've, I'm making, this new family, as we talked about last week, that is devoted to one another. You all are the salt of the earth together. See, Jesus is not saying here that you should be salt or you could be salt if you tried. He says you are salt. This is a very high view of his community. Jesus looks at this church and he has a very high view of his church. Jesus is calling his church the most significant people on the planet. You are the salt of the earth and you must be rubbed into society. You must be a part of the city. He is saying, I think prophetically to us, not even, yes, I think he's saying prophetically to us, you are the salt of San Francisco. You are. We all are. Y'all are the salt of San Francisco. We are to be rubbed into every part of this city to bring the peace of God, the shalom of God, the rest of God, the love of God in everywhere we go, the justice of God, the holiness of God everywhere we go. Now the question, here's the question that I want to ask now. Here's the question that I want us to think about and ruminate over. If we are the salt of San Francisco, what are we salting San Francisco with? If we are the salt, what are we salting San Francisco with? Or said differently, if we are the salt of San Francisco, what are we introducing into the city as the salt of SF? What are you introducing? What are we, in, what is reality San Francisco introducing into San Francisco as the salt of San Francisco? If the essence of Jesus' sermon is salt exists for food, so disciples exist for the world. It's like an SAT question. Salt exists for food, so disciples exist for the world. If that's the case, how are we being rubbed into every part of our society? From business to finance, tech to nonprofits, our neighborhoods, our apartments, the Tenderloin and Knob Hill, how, how are we being rubbed into San Francisco? Salt's main mission is to enter into and to penetrate food. Christian's main mission is to enter into and penetrate the earth. This is what Jesus is saying. If that is the case, What are we, as the followers of Jesus, what are we introducing into San Francisco? Now hold on to that question for a second. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 29. As you are turning to Jeremiah chapter 29, I want to quote to you a quote 
I want to read to you a quote. Sorry. Um, I want to read to you. It's been a long morning. I want to read to you a quote about San Francisco. This quote is from David Talbot. I quoted, I, I mentioned him last week in his book, Season of the Witch. Um, what David is trying to do here, he wants, he started, this is how he started his book. He wants to give us a quick hit as he introduces the book about the city he's writing about. So as he's writing about San Francisco, he wants to slap you with the reality of San Francisco. And that's why I love this quote. This, I love this intro so much. As he introduces his book on San Francisco, he's saying, let me introduce you to the city I'm about to write a whole bunch of words about. Let me just give you a taste of what this city is. And he starts like this. Oh, has it been up there the whole time? Have you guys been reading? <laughs> Overachievers, stop. Let me read it to you, okay? Okay. San Francisco was built on a dare. One of my favorite opening lines of any book. That is so good. San Francisco was built on a dare. The city was tossed up overnight on a shimmying, heavy, mischievous crust of the Pacific Rim. A gold rush city of fortune seekers, gamblers, desperados, and flesh-peddling circus that, that caters to such men. San Francisco defied the laws of nature. It was a wide open town. Its thighs splayed wanton, wantonly for every vice damned in the Bible and more than a few that were left out. San Francisco was the last chance saloon for outcasts from every corner of the globe. If earth didn't swallow them first, hell soon enough would. Great cities have usually been founded by wealthy burghers and craftsmen. Their spires and monuments a testament to the holiness of the work ethic. But San Francisco high society was a devil's dinner party, a road crew of robber barons, saloon keepers, and shrewd harlots. When the town's painted ladies went to the theater, gentlemen would rise up until they were seated. By 1866, there were 31 saloons for every place of worship. And he just says at the very beginning of his book, this is San Francisco. This is the city that we're talking about. This city is not like any other city. This city can be very hostile towards the things of God. It can be. Actually, in his book, he talks about this as well. Now, there are many followers of Jesus that move to San Francisco and try to keep their heads down. Maybe you're one of them. You moved to San Francisco, you're, you, you told your parents, I'm moving to San Francisco. They're like, oh my gosh, how can you move to that city? You're like, mom, just two years. I'm going to do my two years as an analyst and I'll get the heck out of there. <laughs> and so you do. You move here, you keep your head down, you, you make church the only place you know people because everyone else might lead you astray. And to use salt as a metaphor, you stay in the salt shaker. But there's another kind of disciple that moves to San Francisco. They are here, and you move here, and you start your flavoring mission. I'm gonna move there, and I'm gonna be part of that city, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna salt that city, I'm gonna do this, and then somehow, after two promotions, and a taste of fine culture, and fascinating people that you meet here, there's no better way of saying this than Jesus' stinging words, you have lost your saltiness. You lost what made you, you. Some call it a crisis of faith. Others call it, I'm doing my own thing right now. I moved to San Francisco. I started going to a church. I started like, but then, you know, I'm just gonna start, I'm kind of doing my own thing right now. But salt doesn't exist for itself. 
I mean, think about salt just being salt for itself. I mean, just, I just picture a, a, a grain of salt licking itself. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> you can't stand before God one day and go, God, I was just doing my own thing in San Francisco. He can't accept that because it's a denial of your very nature. You are salt. So how do you navigate between those two things? Moving to San Francisco and just keeping your head down and like keeping away from everything and everyone in the city and having your own like church thing and like I can't wait in two years and done with my thing and I'll have a great portfolio and I'm out of here. But then also getting here and being rubbed into every part of the city and then you lose yourself. You get wrapped up in the success and the allure. I had one friend of mine say it's like a siren song and you listen to it and you're just caught up in it. Before you know you're dead. There was this old thing that used to happen in the 1800s during the gold rush in San Francisco called being Shanghaied. And what they would do is someone, some young person would move to San Francisco just so excited and they would get drunk at one of the bars, one of the saloons. And they would get so drunk that some of the saloons had a trap door underneath their stool. And when they got so drunk they blacked out, they would hit a switch and the stool would open up and, 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 and um, the ground would open up and it would, it would, they would go in the basement and be, and be brought in this like little holding container, and a ship captain would grab him and lock him in the ship, and they'd, when he woke up from being passed out, he'd be all the way out to Shanghai, halfway to Shanghai already, and he was made a slave on a ship, being Shanghai. I was there, I was partying, I was having a great time in San Francisco, next thing you know, I'm a slave on a ship. I think a lot of people in San Francisco do that same thing. Followers of Jesus do that same thing. You're so overcome with the wealth and the beauty and the culture of San Francisco. You breathe in its air, you sing its song, and before you know it, you're Shanghai. Before you know it, you're in, you're, you're, you're in bondage. Before you know, you don't even know who you are anymore. I see this a lot. How do you navigate between these two things? I think Jeremiah 29 is a beautiful primer, a beautiful lesson, a beautiful word of what to do in a city. I think it gives us the answer. It's one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible. It's actually a letter written that, that Daniel later on reads. Daniel is like one of my favorite books in the Bible, all-time books, and I, it was my favorite book before I ever knew it had to do with pe a people of God living in a city. Now, a little background before I start reading. Before this time, the people of God dwelled in a city called Jerusalem in a land of Israel. Jerusalem was the religious center where the activity of God was primary. It was the city of the children of Israel, the city the children of Israel were always waiting for. They sang songs about it. You can read tons of songs about it in the Psalms singing about Jerusalem. They flocked to it for high holy days. They were proud of it. But in this city, they were disobedient and they were greedy and they were oppressive and they were idol worshipers, and then they were unfaithful to the call of God of being the city of God. And in God's judgment against Israel, he allowed Assyria to come and destroy the southern part of Israel, and then Babylon came and destroyed the rest. It ransacked Jerusalem and took captives away to Babylon. The people that were taken captive to Babylon were the best and the brightest that Israel had to offer. They took over 10,000 Israelites to Babylon. Now, as they destroyed Jerusalem and destroyed the temple and took all these people and led them all the way to Babylon, what would the people of God do in Babylon? They hated Babylon. Babylon was the enemy. Babylon was a wicked city. How would they live 
in the city of Babylon. How would the people of God live in a city? Now, there's a way that the Babylonians wanted them to live in the city. Here's how Babylon wanted the the Israelites to live in, in Babylon. The Babylonians wanted them to assimilate completely to their cultural, political, and religious landscape so they would lose their distinct spiritual identity as the people of God. They said, move in and take on everything that's us. Take on our cultures and our patterns and our, and our order and our way and everything. And do not be the people of God anymore. Just be Babylonians. And that's what the Babylonians wanted to do. If you read the first chapter of Daniel, that's exactly what they were trying to get Daniel to do. However, there were other people. This is how there were some false prophets in, in Israel that were that in, in Jerusalem, that were taken from Jerusalem in Babylon, and this is how they were telling the people of God to live. There were false prophets of Israel that were directing people to stay completely out of the city of Babylon in order to preserve their unique identity and heritage. So there was all these prophets that said, okay, we're gonna live outside of Babylon, we're gonna live in the suburbs of Babylon, and we're gonna have our own little holy communities outside of Babylon, we're not gonna enter into that city. We're gonna stay in Walnut Creek, and we're not moving to San Francisco. If you do, you will lose who you are. If we move to Babylon, we will lose who we are. We cannot move into Babylon and stay right outside of Babylon. Jeremiah, the prophet of God, had a third way. There was a third way to live, and this is what it says in Jeremiah 29. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests and the prophets and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried, carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And it said, and this is his letter to the people of God that were standing right outside of, of Babylon. And they read this out loud. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there and do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you in exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, do not let the peoples and the diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. Can you imagine how much of a shocker this would be to hear from God? You are outside the city, Your enemy was Babylon. They destroyed your homes. They killed your families. And they took you away. And you heard from God, move in. Pray for them. Build houses. Live among them. Marry your kids. Have babies. Flourish in the city. Pray for its prosperity. Because if Babylon prospers, your enemy, you will prosper. Here's God's vision for city life for the people of God. from 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 these verses here. Look at verse seven. It says, I have carried you away. The people of Israel thought that they were carried away by a wicked king, Nebuchadnezzar. But God explicitly says, I did it. I sent you away in a way 
They were sent to Babylon. They weren't led there. They were sent there. You may think a job sent you to San Francisco or continuing your education sent you here. But the reality is, if you're a follower of God, God sent you to San Francisco. He sent you here to be salt. He sent you here to be, a, to be distinct as his people, bringing the shalom, the peace, the grace, the justice of Christ in this city. You were sent here. You weren't dragged here. You weren't allured by the job. If you think that, just stop and say, no, I was sent here by God. How did you get to San Francisco? God sent me. Well, if you're going to clap, clap. If not, don't. Okay. I said it the other night, because I, I, we, we clapped, whatever, sorry. I don't want you to clap, but I'm, if you're going to do it, do it. Um. Look at verse 5 and 6. Build houses and settle down. I wish we could build houses in San Francisco. Anyway. <laughs> God, let it be. Um, build houses, or rent houses, rent rooms and settle down. <laughs> that might be the thing. I don't know. Build houses and settle down. Marry and have sons and daughters. You can come into San Francisco for two re reasons. And my friend Toby, who's, who preached here um, in December, told me this, and I love it. He said, you can come to San Francisco for two reasons, to pillage or to build. You can come to San Francisco to pillage or to build. You can come here to take everything that the city has to offer, jobs, food, coffee, community of, community of people that are just like you, money, success, take, 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 building my portfolio, building my brand, building my name, building my startup. I'm here to take, take, take. That's called pillaging. You can come to San Francisco, though, to build, to build in the shalom of God in San Francisco. This means you're not here for what you can get, but what you can give. And if you take what Jesus said about salt seriously, what you have to give is you. What you have to give is you. That's what you have to give San Francisco. And I don't, I don't mean this as a do missions, volunteer and serve, there is that. But what you have to give San Francisco, your jobs and your neighbors as a person who is following and living into the way of Jesus themselves. Not that is exactly like everyone else in San Francisco, but happens to serve on Friday and go to church on Sunday, but I mean a complete, like, holy embodiment of who Christ is in the way you conduct your business, in the way you conduct your relationships, in the way that you manage your social media account and your LinkedIn account, like that sort of thing. And I'm not talking about Christian-y things either. I'm talking about a way of being that you know that you're secure in who God's made you and who he saved you to be, that sort of thing. That's going to take time. That won't happen just right now, this very moment. It takes time. As we talked about last week, it takes a community of people in your life following Jesus together. Here's a good a good way to look at it. James 127 in the New Testament says this. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. Religion is the good word of religious here. Religion our, uh, uh, that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. The people of God have a dual calling. 
to pursue public compassion and to, and to preserve personal piety. So we are to be publicly compassionate, but not at the sake of being immoral, not at the sake of living a life that is contrary to the way of God. I'm not going to live a life that sexually I'm very, very liberal and socially with my volunteering, I'm liberal as well. It's I'm liberal when it comes to generosity, but I'm very conservative when it comes to sexuality. That's kind of gnarly, I know. That's kind of like, wait, what? But this is the people of God. Like to, to serve compassionately the poor, to serve compassionately the needy, to serve compassionately those who have to bring justice to those in San Francisco, but to live a life that's unpolluted from the world. It was from this point on in Babylonian exile, the children of Israel would be called Jews and not in the derogatory sense, as in we are a a distinct people of God. From Babylon on, they were called the Jews. They were given a name. They were different than the Babylonians. They were given a name in a city As they lived their lives out in Babylon, they were called the Jews. It was in exile in Babylon that the Jews developed the synagogue, a purpose-built space for worship around families that lived walking distance from each other so they can observe Sabbath laws together. They would live by each other in Babylon so they can rest together, worship together, raise children together, share in common faith, and maintain their unique identity together in Babylon. So they lived in Babylon, but they lived in proximity to each other so they can raise their families together and live their lives together almost like community groups all over Babylon. How do we live in a city? How did they live in a city? They were to make a life there. We are to make, as salt and light in San Francisco, we are to make a life in San Francisco. We are to be concerned about the local issues of San Francisco, our neighborhood issues in San Francisco. We are to be and remain distinct, though. Look at verse 7. Seek the peace of the city. Pray for it. If it prospers, you will prosper. Can you imagine how the Jews took this news? Babylon killed their families, destroyed their temple and their city, and dragged them all away from home. For all intents and purposes, Babylon was their enemy. But God says, don't live a passive life there. I want you to actively work for Babylon's shalom. And shalom there is this beautiful kind of integration of justice and peace. I want you to be in it, in this city, and I want you to work for my shalom, my peace, my presence, my justice in this city. Be my distinct people in Babylon. And then I want you to pray for it. I want you to pray for this city. I want you to pray that God prospers this city. And they would probably think, well, there's some things that I don't agree with in Babylon. And God said, well, pray for it anyway. Well, do I pray for the communities that I don't necessarily agree with? Pray for them. Because Babylon is not Jerusalem. Babylon is Babylon. And I'm not trying to tell you to make Babylon Jerusalem. My Jerusalem, I'll bring you back there. But you stay in Babylon, and it remains Babylon, but you be the peace of God in Babylon. We are not trying to make San Francisco Jerusalem. We're not trying to make San Francisco Salt Lake City or whatever. (laughs) We're trying to like San Francisco, San Francisco. And we want to be the people of God in San Francisco. 
See, the promise, the promise to the people of God in Babylon was that I am going to bring my, there's going to be a new Jerusalem. And so if you read Revelation, you see Babylon again in Revelation, and you see the new Jerusalem in Revelation. God will one day right every wrong. God will one day bring justice to every injustice that's done in every single city. And then he will build a new city, the new Jerusalem. So you stay there and you pray for its peace. See, San Francisco is a wonderful city, one of the best ones in the world. But the reality is it can destroy a Christian. And the other reality is Christians can destroy it. And both are a part of our history in San Francisco. Where the city has destroyed Christians and Christians have destroyed the city. We must work to be the kind of people that salt SF with shalom. We must actively work for the good of our city. San Francisco doesn't need self-righteous Christians living there in their little ghettos, not concerned about the issues of the city. And San Francisco also doesn't need Christians that are so diluted that there's nothing distinct about them. This means we live in this city, but we live under a different order. We live under different values different allegiances, different ethics, different passions. But we don't believe for a second that San Francisco has to be like us. It's San Francisco. It's not Christendom. So we will disagree with the city. There are times when the city will push the church to the margins. There are times when we go, no, we're standing on this because we believe this is God's word and we believe this is truth and this is right. This is the way that human flourishing should be and San Francisco will push us to the margins and say, you are wrong And we will say, we cannot deny God. And there are times when we will work and we like we have done to bring about peace here and bring about shalom. But we disagree with the city the way that Jesus disagreed with the city. He disagreed with it, but he laid his life down for it. He disagreed with it, but he died to serve it. Jesus disagreed with the world, and he laid his life down for it. Jesus laid his life down for you. Christ died that you would be part of his family, that you'd be brought into his kingdom, that you would be brought into this way of living that you were created for. Jesus died to restore us back to the shalom and the peace and the rest and the life of God. That's what Jerusalem was supposed to be, but they didn't do a good job, and so God sent them into Babylon to be that in Babylon. And this is how the letter ends. And this is the refrigerator magnet that everyone has. This is the context of it. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. Here it is. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a future, a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where you have been banished, where I have banished you, declares the Lord. I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. And here's a word for maybe some of you who are just losing yourself in the city. God has, God has his eye on you and God knows you and God is with you. 
And his plans for you are not to harm you. His plans for you are not to harm you in this city, but to give you a future, to give you hope. But then it says, we'll seek him. And that might just be the thing that might be missing. Seeking him. San Francisco seeks a lot of things. You might be here seeking a lot of things. We are told all of this plan and prosperity and future and hope is found in one place, and that's God. And we need to seek him. So let's seek him now. God, thank you that we can seek you. And then it says, God, that we can be found by you. That we'll find you, God. That's a good promise. I pray, God, you, I pray your word right now that that would happen as, as men and women seek you. As we seek you in worship, God, that you would be found. That we can find you here. Maybe we've been seeking for you in all these wrong, wrong places, seeking hope and prosperity and future and security, and it's just, it's not in the stuff that we're looking for it in. We want to seek it in you, God. And so, Lord, I pray, God, we would find you as we seek you now. In Jesus' name, amen.